Well, good morning, church. Good morning, Alma Campus. Good morning, those of you who are online. Starting a new series today, Chapter 8 is its title. I'm a reader. I love to read. I read uh, in a lot of different genres of literature. Always have three or four books going, uh, usually a biography or some Christian theology, and then some secular book out there that might have some interesting stuff in it. I'd rather read the book than see the movie, all right, because my mind is better than any producer or director could have. I can see things that they can't see. They should have called me, but they never have. <laughs> but of all the books that I've read in my life, there, as with you, I'm sure, there are a handful that actually jump out as, wow, you know, that one's worth reading over and over again. One of those is C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's a great one. But the greatest one you already know, and it's not because I'm a preacher, it's because I'm a Christian, and it is the Bible. But in the Bible, there is a book that I think is the pinnacle of all the books of all in the Bible. Of the 66 that are there, there's one that I like better than all the rest of them, and that's the book of Romans. Romans is something that Paul wrote in the mid-50s after the resurrection of Christ. He was in the city of Corinth at the time that he wrote it, and he wrote to Christian churches that had been established in Rome. Paul is on his last missionary journey, and he wanted to help the Roman church understand what they believed. So the first seven chapters of this book deal with the origin of sin and what sin is and how the law came in and the law convicts us of our sins. And then chapters 9 through 16 to the end of the book talk about how we are then to live in the freedom we've been given in Christ Jesus. And so it tells us who we are, tells us how we are to live. But if you caught it quickly, I left out chapter 8. Because chapter 8 is the mountaintop experience. It's been called the greatest chapter of any book in the Bible. It's probably one of the most quoted chapters in the Bible. And over the next five weeks, including today, we're going to grab five texts from this eighth chapter, and we're going to expand them so that you will understand the beauty of the chapter, and it will also help you grasp who you are in Christ Jesus. So it's a journey we're on. You don't want to miss a single one of these, and I'm looking forward to what God's going to say to us when we get going in it. So let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our pathway. I want to praise you, Lord, that today your Holy Spirit is going to speak into our hearts. He knows each of us. He knows where our hearts are, what our needs are. And Lord, you know how to meet them. And so we yield ourselves to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So how you doing? You know, I, many people would respond to that, oh, I'm good, 
I'm good. And some would say, I'm doing very good, very good. And some would be honest and say, well, not so good today. And then the most honest one would look at you and you're sorry you asked the questions. I'm doing terrible. But at least they're being honest. When people ask me that question, I say, well, I'm well. You're not going to hear me say I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm doing terrible. No, I'm well. You see, there's a a distinction semantically between the concept of goodness and wellness. And it's important to understand that. Goodness has to do with moral character. Wellness has to do with health. So if you're going to ask me how you're doing and I'm answering I'm good, all of a sudden this buzzer goes off in my head. You know, the no buzzer. Because God knows I'm not as good as I should be. And neither are you. And none of us are. We all fall short of God's glory. So none of us are good. But all of us who are following Christ Jesus could say we are well. We say that because the character that we have, though it is not good, has been changed as a result of what Christ Jesus accomplished on the cross. So when you ask me, how am I doing? And thank you for asking that after what I went through for a couple of months there. I'm going to say I am well. I'm not going to say I'm good because then I know that I've got a problem with God because God's already told me I'm not good. But he's told me I'm well. But I am pursuing being good because he wants me to do that. When Christ came along and came into my life, when he came into your life, everything changed. Now here is the joy of chapter 8 of Romans. The first five verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. Sounds a little confusing in there, but it's not. It's real clear. We were born with a sinful nature. The law was given to point out our sin and also given to point out the character of God. We are not able to keep that law. Therefore, we fall short of God. But God, knowing that, sent Jesus Christ to do what we cannot do. And he did it. And therefore, he offers us now, who have acknowledged Christ, this statement 
that you are not condemned. What causes condemnation? Have you ever made a choice that you knew was outside the will of God? You made it anyway? Probably a selfish choice. You ever done that? See, if anybody just said no, you lied, so now you got another problem. (laughs) Of course we have. Hopefully we don't do it every day, but as soon as I exercised my choice, my freedom of the will, and I went against the will of God, I knew I had done it. You don't fall into sin. You choose to sin. And right after I did it, I felt guilty. Why? Because I was. Because I know when I'm disobeying God, and I know I'm guilty for disobeying God. Pastor Allen spoke about it a few weeks ago when he said, we were born wrong. We were born with this propensity toward evil. And no matter how many times people try to tell us not to do it, we're like children. You know, we're going to do it anyway. Last week, I was on the phone with my youngest daughter, and she has three children. One of them is a four-year-old boy, all boy. His name is Cove. And she called me, and we're talking on the phone. She's sitting in her driveway. She said, I just ran an errand. And she said, I have a teenage girl. It's the first time she's babysat for me. And she is with Cove, and uh, I hope everything's going well. She said, wait a minute. I'm getting a text from her right now. Well, here's what the text said. Is it Cove's habit to take all of his clothes off and run around the house naked? (laughs) Talk about living in the flesh. (laughs) And she said, Dad, this is her first time here. I better go. And she hung up. (laughs) Well, why does that surprise us? This is the nature that we're in to to put ourselves in any position we choose to be in. Your flesh, my flesh, we're bound by the law. We know it was wrong for him to do that. But he didn't know it was wrong. But when you disobey the law, you have done wrong. And God gave the law so that we would see who he is. If you go back and read not only the Ten Commandments, but read through Leviticus, as laborious as that is, And you see all the rules and regulations that God established. Really what God is saying is, this is who I am. And I want you to be like me. When Christ came and spoke the the story on the mount of it, where he was communicating with all of the people, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount, he's taking all of that law of God and he's putting it into the inside of us and saying, this is who my father is. This is who I am. So we have a reflection of who God is. And every day, I know that in some way, I'm disobeying that reflection. Because it's just in my nature. Now, I don't know if you've done this or not, but there have been those days when struggling with that, I look at myself in the mirror and I say, are you sure that you're saved? Well, If it's based on what I've done, what I've thought, if it's based on some of the decisions I've made in life, no, I don't qualify to be saved. 
But then I start thinking about Jesus and about the name of Jesus and about the work of Jesus. And suddenly I remember, no, I didn't save myself. I'm not worthy to be saved. But there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I'm not condemned. I'm wrong in the way I'm living, but I'm not condemned. And so I need to deal with that. I'm not good enough to belong to Christ. And I know that. In the Gospel of John, John shares a story about condemnation. It's in the eighth chapter where he's going to present a case where some Jews who were very legalistic caught a woman in the act of adultery and they brought her to Jesus. Now the law stated that you had to have two witnesses and there were two who came and witnessed against her. But the Jews wanted to trap Jesus. How would they trap him? If he refused to find her guilty, if he did not condemn her, then he would be violating biblical law because she deserved to be condemned for what she had done. However, if he carried out the sentence on her as Jewish law required, he would be breaking Roman law because Roman law stated that only the Romans could carry out executions on the Jews. So they knew, we've got him trapped now. What's he going to do? They bring the woman in front of Christ. Christ says, let the man without sin throw the first stone. Now you need to interpret that. You need to understand what he just said. What he said was, she's guilty. I know she's guilty. She deserves to die. But I'm not going to carry out the sentence. If there are any sinless people here, why don't you carry it out? And the Bible says they began to leave one at a time, the oldest first. Now think about that for a minute. Why the oldest first? Because they'd sin the most. And then he turns to the woman. And listen to what he says. John chapter 8, verse 10 and 11. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Get this this morning. Your standing with God is not based on your obedience. Your eternal salvation is not based on your obedience. What you've chosen to do with your life does not come into play with reference to your eternal life. Your eternal life, my eternal life, is totally based on what Jesus Christ did. One theologian said the litmus test of whether or not you understand this gospel is what you do when you fail. If you run to Jesus, then you understand the gospel. Because there's no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that does not give us a license to go sin. It's not that we go out and do bad things so that grace will be greater. No, our call is to live without sin as much as possible, calling on Christ on a continuous basis. So what are the options when you find life going the wrong way? When everything seems to be crashing down on you, what do you do? Well, normally, we're going to run to family, right? We're going to run to friends. may run to the church. may run to some old habits we had. And those are not necessarily wrong things to do because you can ask for prayer. You can ask for help. But let me tell you, if you're not running to Jesus, you're going to miss it. There's a story of a pastor in a town, and there was one man in that town that the people in his church just couldn't stand. The man was always opposed to everything that they wanted to do in the church. But the man was afraid for his life, so he came to the pastor and he said, I would like to take sanctuary in your church. In other words, I would like to have the protection of your church against those who are trying to kill me. And the pastor said, well, you know, my people uh, hate you. They don't like you at all. And I've talked to them about that. They're not supposed to be like that, but I've talked to them. He said, I don't know if they're going to accept you here or not. He said, oh, but I need to have protection. The pastor prayed and a very wise man. He said, well, you be here early Sunday morning and there's something we'll do. Well, Sunday morning came and the man was with the pastor, but he could not be seen by the congregation because the pastor had put up pipe and drape behind the cross. The cross was here, and here's the pipe and drape. And the man was hiding behind the pipe and drape. And then the pastor began to preach. And he was telling his congregation what an awful group of people they were, how horrible they were, how terrible they were all going to hell. And they're all sitting out there and they're beginning to shake and beginning to worry. He said, but there is a way that you can be saved. And they're all sitting on edge wanting to know, what is it? What is it? He said, you need to come behind the curtain on the other side of the cross. You need to have your salvation that's being offered to you. Are you willing to come? And they said, yes. And he dropped the drape and here's that man standing there. And they all kind of hesitated. But then they realized we have to get on the other side of the cross. Because only in the cross, in the Jesus who was on the cross, only there do you find sanctuary. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you approach the throne with confidence, you understand the gospel. No matter what's going on in your life, how far down you may be in your difficulty or in your sin, if you go to the throne of God, you will be received because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So why would you wait? When the storm is raging... Run to Jesus. When everything's falling apart, run to Jesus. 
when you come to the end of yourself, run to Jesus. On Friday evening, I had the joy of helping Helen McGregor and my wife Linda get on an airplane to head to Moldova and praying ahead of time for them. And Some of you know about their trip there to minister to widows in 26 different churches over 13 days. So I wished them well. I prayed for them. They got on their flight to go to Amsterdam. I knew what time they were supposed to arrive in Amsterdam, but I didn't hear from them. So I called our connection in Moldova. He hasn't heard from them. I'm trying to call both of them on their WhatsApp, and they're not responding. All of a sudden, that special ring I have for my wife, it rings, and I go, hello, honey. And she said, I am not your honey. I found this phone in the bathroom in the Amsterdam airport. And she said, this was the last call on it. Who are you? I said, that's my wife's phone. Her name is Linda, and I'm Wally. How are you today? <laughs> you know, fine. She said, I am standing outside the bathroom. Do you know where she is? I said, could you hold a minute? And I call Helen. Helen answers. Hi. I said, where are you, Helen? I'm in front of gate three. I said, where's Linda? Well, she left me with all the bags and she's gone to get something to eat because she's very hungry. I said, well, there's a woman in front of a restroom that has her phone. She said, I can see her from here, but I can't leave all these bags to go get her. So I said, hold on. So I called the woman. <laughs> I said, there is a lady down there and uh, she will be able to get the phone from you. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I stepped out through these doors, and it's a no entry back in, so I'm on the other side of the door. So I'm trying to problem solve for my wife, you know, 10,000 miles away, wherever she is, and, and I'm figuring it out. Okay, what am I supposed to do next, Lord? So I, I said, hold on a minute, and I call Helen. You know, Helen? Here's what's taking place. She's on the other side of the door. She said, well, Linda's back with the luggage, so I'm going to walk up to the other side of the door. She said, we can't figure out because it's a double door. So you can't just step and it'll open and you can hand it through. There's an air gap. So once it closes, you can't get back in. Helen said, should I go through? No, Helen, <laughs> do not go through. By this time, I said, I'll pray, you try to find security, I'll call you back. And I go to visit a dear friend in Alma who's in the hospital, Monalee Switzer. And I tell her the situation, and she says, well, we need to pray. And I said, all right, let's pray. And I said, Lord, I'm running to Jesus right now. I can't help. I don't know what to do. Send someone that can help them. My phone rings. Right after we prayed, my phone rings. Helen says, we've got it worked out. We met a man when we first arrived here who's also going to Moldova. He is a wonderful Christian man. He says he loves the Lord and he's worked with Youth for Christ. He's worked for lots of organizations. And he has said to us 
that he will protect us and make sure we get to Moldova. He's only going there for one day. Who flies to Moldova for one day? Angels? I don't know. That's the last I heard. This morning at 6.30, I still haven't heard any. I don't know where they are. So, so I text a Russian pastor that was going to pick them up in Moldova. And he said, they are here. They are fine and happy. He said, the reason their flight was canceled, there was a bomb scare at the Chisinau airport and it shut the airport down for many hours. And that's why they could not fly. I'm thinking, you know, they did it because Linda's coming. The angels have to work overtime when she travels. But I ran to Jesus, and Mona Lee ran to Jesus, and when we heard within one minute of our prayer that the prayer had already been answered, you cannot deny the power of God. We ran to Jesus, and Jesus answered our prayer. No condemnation. He didn't base the answer of his prayer on the fact that I'm a pastor that Linda's a missionary. He based it on the fact that his son, Jesus Christ, died for us and that we know that and we're living it. Jesus did what no man or woman could do by keeping the law. Jesus did what no man or woman could do by offering himself as the perfect sacrifice. He did it all so that you and I would not be condemned. Romans 8, 3, and 4, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. How did he do this? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to set you up for the next four weeks because this chapter 8 is more about the work of the Holy Spirit in you and me than anything else. It, it sets us up for that how to live in chapters 9 through 16. One pastor came up with seven ways to express the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to these. The first one is the Spirit comes in to correct that which is wrong. He convicts us of sin. He's going to correct it, and then he's going to put that sin away. The Bible says that your sins are as far as east is from west. God remembers them against us no more. And then he breaks the power that sin has on our lives and he subjects that rebellious territory that you have to the power of the Lord. And then he cultivates that territory and restores that which the weeds have spread upon. And what does he do in the end? He takes your desert life, that area of your life, and he makes it bloom again. All because of what Christ did. So there's no condemnation. Therefore now, Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one can condemn those whom God has justified. And you are all justified if you are in him. It, it matters how we feel about things, 
But it doesn't matter how you feel about your salvation because God has already determined your salvation is true in Christ Jesus. You need to make that decision today if you've never made it before that you will live in Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit who will set you free. He sees you free from all condemnation. You're free. There's a pastor who was on his deathbed and a friend said, what are you doing, brother? Because he was talking. The pastor said, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm gathering together all my prayers, all my sermons, all my good deeds, all my bad deeds, and I'm throwing them overboard. And I'm going to swim to glory on the plank of his free grace. You see, it doesn't really matter what you've done in your life. You are accepted just as you are in Christ Jesus. Even where you may be right this minute, if you want an audience with him, you just silently say to him from your heart, Lord, where am I with you? How am I doing? And God's answer is going to be this. You're fine because... There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We celebrate that this morning with communion. In the seats in front of you, there's a little communion cup. If you'll get the wafer out and then open your drink, we will remember that when Christ gathered those disciples together, he said to them, This bread is my body, which is given for you. And he sacrificed his body on the cross that we might live. At the end of the meal, he took the drink and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of this and eat of this, you will remember me until I come again. So before we partake, I'd like for you to Just take a moment in prayer. Confess yourself before the Lord and receive that free grace from him that you are not condemned. This is the body of Christ. Take and eat. The blood of Christ shed for the remission of our sins. Let's drink together. Lord, if we came in this morning bound by anything, we claim it set free. We ask, Lord, that that knowledge of being free in you and not condemned will change our lives this week. So let us be a blessing to others. Let us love one another. Let us be unified in our faith. 
And help us, Lord, to be that person that helps others this week in some interesting and wonderful way. Set us free, Lord, to be all you've called us to be. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Go and have a blessed week and stay out of the heat. <laughs>